everybody. Welcome back to the Nothing Owed Podcast. As always, we're back with another amazing episode. This week, we talked to David Wood. David is an awesome dude. Uh, he's a Marine. He's done a ton of stuff in his life. He's an entrepreneur, Marine, just a really all-around cool dude. And if you haven't seen him, you need to check out his Instagram, check out his fitness videos. David is one of those guys that really seems like he can do anything and will kick your ass doing it. So we're really excited to talk to him. This is a great episode. We went a little bit longer than normal only because we were so, um, we had so much to talk about with David and he was such an interesting guy that we, uh, we really didn't know where to stop. <laughs> so awesome episode. I know you guys are going to like this one, but before we get into the show, we have to thank our sponsors. They are generous enough to keep this show going, which I really appreciate. So as always, our premier sponsor for season two is Mondeus Nation. Please check out ModusNation.com. They have awesome stuff. Ben and Lindsay are doing amazing work with all their designs, with all their clothing. They're always putting out new products that are even better than the last. So please check them out, ModusNation.com. Also, they gave us a promo code, nothing owed. So that'll get you a special discount on the website. Please check them out. And I have to say, you know, Ben and Lindsay are doing amazing work. They're always finding new ways to contribute to various groups, you know, to whether it's a veteran charity or whether it's a local charity. You know, that's one of the huge parts of Modus Nation is that, is that giving back. And obviously, the more you contribute to Modus Nation through your purchases, the more Ben and Lindsay can contribute back to back to the community. And that's really awesome. Uh, they, they're, they're doing such amazing work that, you know, they, they really don't talk about it too much, but they're always looking for ways to, to give to give more. You know, they've created so many groups, so many you know, veteran groups, so many business groups. They, they're really doing an awesome job. And I'm glad that uh, the podcast can be just a, a small part of that, um, you know, because they're they're just really kicking butt everywhere they go. So please support them. And, you know, always, too, I like to mention some of the other people that have contributed to the show. You know, Winfield Watch has been a longtime contributor to the show. So please check out WinfieldWatch.com. Uh, Mark Miller's an awesome dude. Awesome products. Really love their watches. I, I bought one myself. Um, back when Mark was, uh, earlier on in the, in the company, but, uh, still a great product. Mark is an awesome guy, great customer service. So please uh, check out Winfield watch, uh, Grindhouse coffee. Another one I have to mention, Aaron's doing amazing work. He's actually making some great coffee and he's not just rebagging coffee that anyone else can buy. He is actually picking the roast, picking the flavor profile. So you're getting a very, uh, number one, it's very good quality coffee, very high quality coffee, but it's not just a repackaged generic coffee. It's actually coffee that he chooses. He designs the flavor. So you're getting really a, a custom blend of coffee, which is awesome. So please check them out. Grind Ops Coffee. You know, and, and frankly, we've had so many awesome guests on the show that I, I really try to, to mention everyone as much as I can. So please check out, you know, all of our other guests. If there's anything that you need, you know, please go to our guests first. They really, you know, they, they deserve your support because uh, they've supported the show in one way or another. You know, just as an example, uh, Cranky Vinter Candle has been an awesome guest. You know, they've helped us out uh, behind the scenes, too. They've helped out Ben quite a bit as well. So please, uh, Cranky Vinter Candle, if you need candles, D214, if you need a Jujutsu Gi, please check them out. They're doing awesome stuff. Um, they have their Memorial Gi, which is uh, really amazing. It's a way to honor those that have um, that have passed away. So DD214 Fightwear is doing amazing work. Uh, the Drunken Butcher is another awesome one. If you need any seasonings, if you need any barbecue rubs, anything like that, please check them out. You know, one of the things that I, I really 
like about all of our guests is that if they do have a product to sell, they're actually making that product with heart. They're not just repackaging, you know, some generic item and, and shipping it off to you. Like they're actually coming up with the design. They're actually doing the manufacturing. You know, they're changing the recipe to actually make it a better product. So you're actually getting something better than you could, you know, at a, at a big box store and you're supporting a local company, you know, and especially in this time of, of COVID and everything else, supporting your neighbor is, is huge. And that's what Ben and I like to talk about. So, you know, please support our guests, please support what they're doing. They really appreciate it, you know, more than you know, and in turn, you're getting a great product. So that being said, it's time to start the show. So let's get into it with uh, David Wood. I know you're going to like this one. Thanks, everybody. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Nothing of a Podcast. Um, as always, we have another amazing guest, although uh, this week our guest is probably uh, super amazing, however you want to describe it. Uh, we've been chatting for the last hour, which we normally don't do. But our guest this week is David Wood, um, who is an awesome dude, has done just about everything, um, is really an incredible person, has done a lot of good in this world. Um, so we're really excited to have him on here, really excited that he's going to share his uh, his story with us. Um, but before we do that, I want to talk to uh, Ben, say hi to him, see what's new, see what's going on, and then we'll introduce David. So Ben, how you been? What's new? Nothing new this week. Just, uh, I am totally excited that David continues to, uh, agree to come on the podcast behind the scenes. We've had a lot of scheduling <laughs> issues. David is overseas, lives overseas. Um, and so the time thing has, has messed us up. We've missed a couple times cause, cause mostly cause I'm an idiot and can't send a calendar invite with the right time on it. But I am, I am beyond stoked, uh, you know, like most of our listeners, I start to follow, or most of our guests, I start to follow them on social media as we prep to, to talk to them. And man, this guy is, I mean, there's nothing more to describe this guy than complete savage. So, I mean, he, we're going to go down, we're going to go down a couple different roads. It's just, I mean, a great story. We probably could have him on for three or four episodes, but we'd screw up the time recording. So we're going to make the best of what we got tonight. So I'm excited. David's the man. So I'm excited. Yeah, me too. And yeah, again, our apologies for the uh, issues with the time, but we're, we're super excited here. So David, I'm going to turn it over to you. If you don't mind, if you could just give us um, kind of a brief introduction, um, kind of give us the, the, the high points, um, and we'll get started. I, I, I know we have a lot to talk about. So, David, I'm going to turn it over to you. Awesome, guys. Thanks so much for having me. And um, I'll tell you what, the, the, the time issues have, have been an issue on any, <laughs> on any and every podcast that I've done. I, it's it's uh, living in Hong Kong and now living in Spain. It's um, <laughs> the, invites, the invites never agree with, our, with, with the time zones that we're reaching out to. So it's, it's not you guys. We're, we're going to blame it on the tech. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, guys, my name is David Johnson Wood. I'm a uh, American. I was born in Chattanooga, Tennessee, back in '79. So I'm a, I'm a salt dog. I uh, grew up kind of all over the East Coast. My dad was a pastor. He just retired recently, but lived in Hingham, lived up in Boston, lived in Greenville, South Carolina, lived in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, went to high school in Knoxville, Tennessee. Went in the Marines out of Knoxville, Tennessee. I went in in 99, got done in 2005, started off as an 0311 infantryman, rah, um, and then went to Shrig, went over to, hoorah, baby, went over to Shrig, Surveillance Reconnaissance Intelligence Group, um, doing, you know, sensor work, some intel stuff, getting to work with some really, really cool folks, and 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 got to pretend that I knew that I knew what I was doing for a while. 
um, deployed. First deployment was Panama. Um, went down there to hand back over the, the Panama Canal um, in 99. So we handed over Howard Air Force Base, Rodman, East and West Corsair. Second deployment was on the 26 <laughs> Mew. And then last deployment was again on the 26 Mew over into Kandahar. Um, first boots on the ground after 9-11. So I'm sure you guys can can imagine it's been a, a weird last couple of weeks. Um, got stop yeah. lost. So I had to stay in a little extra, a little more than I'd planned. Um, so explain, I, explain to our listeners that aren't, uh, that aren't military guys what stop loss means. Sure. So the day you hit the fleet, you get these stickers on your car, on your windshield. And these stickers are your EAS. And they are the days to the month that, <laughs> that you are looking forward to. If you're not yeah, going to re-enlist. To, to get out, right? Get yeah. out to finish your time. Yeah. And this is, this, this is the only numbers that matter to you. It's okay. I'm doing this. How much, how many deployments, how many schools can I get it? And what can I do up to this date? Um, or it's the day that you're looking forward to saying, you know, what kind of bonuses or, or, or props can I try to squeeze in there for a reenlistment bonus? Um, and really in the military, that's the, those are your only dates, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. 300, 365 days in a wake up. That's that's what you're counting the days, right? Yeah. Right. So when you're when you're about to be done, you're called short. You say people say, How short are you? Oh, I got, you know, how much terminal leave do you have built up? All this. And it's kind of it's it's this exciting time. So because of 9-11 and because of obviously being at 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 war and it being a a a serious attack on the United States and us kind of being in a cluster, um guys and gals were getting soft loss. So they basically just tank your EAS and they say, sorry, you're staying <laughs> to be determined to be determined. Yeah. We um, were talking, we were talking before we were recording and it's like, it's like, Hey, uh, Sergeant Wood, good news and bad news, buddy. Good news <laughs> is, is we really like you and you're a great leader and everything else. Bad news is, is you're not going to quite get out in the time we can contractually sign with you. Remember that contract we signed? Ah, we ripped we have, it up. We own you. <laughs> yeah, we, we ripped it you. up. We are going to war. We own you. This is the big green weenie. This yeah. is the big green weenie. Well, it was, you know, it was interesting because I was, I was, I was really short. I went. Um, and when I got back, it was like, okay, we've kept you in. You're going to be able to get back. You can't deploy anymore. You've deployed, you know, max. Then they stop lost me. Right. <laughs> and I had I hadn't even met my son. So my son, Jaden was born when I was in Kandahar and I get out and I had missed. It's funny how bad when they give you the green weenie, they really plow it in you. Um, there, there's terminology of when your maternity leave, your, your leave to go see your kid expires. Like if you haven't seen them within, I think it's like 90 days or something. Yeah. Basically I hadn't seen my kid cause I was in combat and I get back and they're like, well, you missed the window <laughs> for, for the maternity leave. And I'm like, dude, I was in Pakistan and Afghanistan. So it was, it was funny. It was kind of one thing after the next. And to make a long story short, it, it started to kind of take my mojo away. Um, I had to write my Congressman, Congressman Duncan of, of, um, of Tennessee and show my college acceptance letters. Um, that's, li- that's literally why I picked philosophy and religious studies. I'm not some like avid reader or anything else. I was just like, what are, you know, what's going to have the least amount of math? Um, and, and what can I get accepted? What programs can I get accepted into oh, right now to, to, to be able to get out? And I, I, I had him, um, I rented an apartment in Knoxville, Tennessee, 
moved my uh got all my paperwork had the acceptance letters and 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 got out so that was that went to university so, of tennessee i was gonna um, say ut right yep ut um i don't think we've been good since peyton manning <laughs> peyton it's been manning. a while man it's been a long t martin or peyton manning but um yeah i'm a big orange volunteer um women's I, college basketball in tennessee is no joke they what was her name pat pat uh pat? Some Sumner, some Pat. We'll just call her Pat. It's such Coach a new, Pat. Such a, yeah, she Coach won for Pat. years. Such a yeah. great neutral name. She was, she was absolute, absolute legend. Um, yeah, she was. I, I, you know, I, I wasn't. Uh, I got divorced right when I got out, and I got full custody of my son, Jaden. So I raised awesome. him by myself, and I maxed out. I was doing like twenty hours a semester. I got, they gave me credit for a bunch of the Shrig schools and my 8,000 series. And I had a really, really um, good, like awesome Patriot cat that was working there with, uh, you know, with the administration, the VA to help me. So guys and gals, when you get out, like maximize any school you've done. If you don't get the answers you want from somebody, you, you've got to find somebody that, that will work with you at the administrations. But there's so many credits, so many stuff you can clap out of just for your time, the stuff that you've done in service. Um, I, I was even getting credits for like map reading schools, sensor reconnaissance schools, where it was like, you know, oh wow, they 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 helped me out a lot. You know, I basically got out, and with the with the sergeants eight thousand series, with the Shrig school, with some of the Intel schools, I had like a year and a half under my belt without ever stepping foot in a in a university. Um, so I maxed out twenty hours a semester. Went to went to school summertime, um, Christmas time. My parents were in Knoxville, Tennessee. My sister, older sister, was there, so they helped me with my son when I was in school. Um, and I got a very interesting, um, job opportunity by one of my dad's friends. My dad's a pastor of a church there. They do a lot with uh, global mission. And I had a guy named Tom Henry come take me out for a steak. I was doing finals and he just said, you know, do you want to go back out into the fight? Will we want you with your background to do mission work, to do some underground work in areas that were very locked down. Um, and that's, you know, we talked earlier about about that. So that's all that I'll say there. Yeah. Um, and I and I jumped at it. So I didn't walk for graduation. I was I was on a plane to Hong Kong and then I was very quickly um, immersed in doing. Sensibly, we'll just say sensitive liaison work um, across Southeast Asia and uh, being there, uh, being in Hong Kong kind of as a hub, having my son there, you know, Hong Kong was a great international kind of banking city, very safe, very, very free, not China. Um, and I was able there to really meet, you know, a, a, a plethora of people from different backgrounds, private equity guys, fundraisers, um, you know, hedge fund guys and sourcing operations. And so I started a company in 2010 uh, called DJW Holdings, David Johnson Wood, DJW Holdings. Look up DJW holdings.com.hk, you'll see sourcing, marketing, branding, IP, uh, food and beverage. And I basically started that company as an umbrella company to start doing sourcing projects, infrastructure, uh, commodities, trading, kind of you name it. Every relationship that I started building overseas um, and, and people in the West and people in Europe who knew where I was would say, hey, I own a construction company. How much can you get me threaded rod for? Or, hey, I'm building science laboratories. Or, hey, I'm building massive legal marijuana greenhouses. I need triple canopy greenhouses for this and that. Interesting. And being yeah. the, you know, being the grunt that I am, 
and just being kind of a loner that likes to, you know, kind of get, go out behind enemy lines or, or just kind of go out, go out on my own. I started building really, really close relationships with factory owners, um, kind of political heads in different provinces. And this wasn't just China. I mean, this was in Thailand, um, you know, Singapore, Vietnam, Cambodia. Um, can I, can I ask you something? Malaysia. Yeah. The, um, no, I'm not in the CIA. <laughs> Damn. Okay. Let me think. That's what, that's what, that's what he would say if he's in the CIA. So I, <laughs> man, I don't know. You got me fooled. I said marijuana greenhouses. The CIA well, has never been involved in anything related to drugs. <laughs> Wait, oh yeah. That's right. Damn. That's right. My bad. My bad. Let's cut, we'll edit that. Yeah. Sorry. Um, what's, what's your question, brother? <laughs> you threw me off. No, I was going to say, so you got out of the Marine Corps and then you ended up in Hong Kong what made you decide to, to start those umbrella companies? I mean, you, you really, um, it sounds like you really took on a lot in a short amount of time. How did, how did you make that transition and what made you kind of go down that path initially? I, you guys, anyone who follows me on social media sees that I'm really charismatic and kind of passionate and, and driven. Um, okay. if I don't have something to do, if I have too much downtime, it's, 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 it's the devil's playground. Um, and so it was really a thing where I raised a, a bunch of funds. Um, I had full support to go do project A, B, C, and D. And I had great guys and gals on the ground in, in countries that I was working with. And then I, you know, my time in Hong Kong just turned into freaking party time. It was okay. okay. I've got this mission, this mission, this mission. And now I've got all this downtime and I don't need to go back here for two weeks. This, this mission is running on its own. This is running on its own. And it was, um, uh, training Muay Thai and, uh, training at a couple of different gyms where I met some very, um, successful private equity guys that are partners in, in several companies that I own to this day. And they mm -hmm. advised me, they would, you know, they'd check on me. We'd talk about, you know, projects we were doing and whatnot. And they literally just wanted to help me and, and, and see me successful. And they would see me doing intros to factories and this and that. And they'd say, Dave, you're, you've got to understand that where you're living right now and the Rolodex that you're building are your contacts and you need to monetize this. This isn't a thing where you just need to introduce Joe Schmo to this factory or this or that. You need to not just be paid a finder's fee, but you, you know, you understand the logistics chain. You're not just doing an intro. You're helping with tech packs, CAG drawings. You're helping with the, with the QRFs, with the request for, for um, quotations, kind of the whole nine. You're not just, you know, you're, you're kind of doing full spectrum sourcing. And so I set up DJW Holdings and use that as a shell to then be able to write out quotations and basically be the middleman of every deal and to be able to say, okay, I'm going to get you, you know, we've done stuff from, you know, three story, 50,000 square feet, fully blacked out, climatized, automated marijuana greenhouses to um, smash proof prison, prison tablets for prisoners to use, you know, to send to the U S to clothing. Um, I got hired by Cryptech Outdoor Group. I don't know if you guys know Cryptech, yeah. the hunting brand. Yeah, I got hired by those guys to be one of their sourcing guys and ended up being their director of Asia for several years. Oh, and wow. doing, just doing sourcing design, IP stuff. And that's how I really got into camouflage and seeing the just the diversity, how to monetize camouflage licensing, how detailed camouflage actually is. You know, it's not just dye sublimation if you're going right. to really use camouflage to dissipate and, and use it as, as camouflage is meant to be. Um, and so, you know, having that experience, that really kind of is where Vogue Virtus Outdoor Group was, was born. 
was getting doing so many different sourcing projects, manufacturing projects, and then getting into garments. And me being a guy who loves to do, you know, I, I love to do MMA, rock climbing, paragliding, you know, free diving, canyoning, the whole nine. And in Hong Kong, you've got, you know, it's this mega city, but you drive 30 minutes out of the city and you've got beautiful, pristine beaches, mountains, unbelievable rock climbing. I mean, you've just got this beautiful land that the Hong Kong government won't let China come in and build on. So you've got all this, these natural reserves that you can hike, canyon. I mean, you can literally, I would rock climb or hike with my little paraglider up to a mountaintop and fly down, fly around for, you know, as long as I wanted, and then go down to the beach, sun, take your snorkel, take your fins, go out. I mean, it's, it's, it's for an outdoorsman, wow. it's a, it's a paradise. Um, and so as I was building stuff for Cryptech and the hunting arena, I was telling them guys like <clears throat> hunting's awesome, but it, it really, it, it, it narrows your optics down to just the U S um, you know, there's a big, massive world out here, and I think we need to push a, a camouflage that can transcend real operating into fashion and into sports. Um, and I think we really need to hit the athletic market because that's, you know, we, that, that the tactical market and the athletic market cross-pollinate one another. Right. And I said, no, you're stupid. Stick to hunting. So I left. And again, nothing against Cryptech. They're awesome. Guys are great. Butch Whiting and Josh Cleghorn. Josh is an absolute freaking beast. Um, awesome guys. All of them. Nothing bad to say about them. We just had different. I, I wanted to go my little sassy way and with my beard gel. And, and they, they <laughs> you know, they're, they're in Idaho where they can go out in their backyard and hunt every day. So oh, been, did you try to tell dudes from Idaho that there's a world yeah, outside well, I mean, of hunting? Living it. They're out in like God's yeah. land getting to go shoot wolves and do this stuff. And they're like, yeah, yeah. They're CrossFit, calling it. Never, never heard of her. Yeah. So, yeah. CrossFit. It, it was, the hell? It, yeah, it was one of those things. So, <laughs> so, um, I started, you know, again, before the podcast, we were talking about Taiwan and their yeah. allies to Israel and to the United States and some of the just hypersensitive technologies that they're using. And I started working with some of the labs there and seeing all of these treatments that you can put into fabrics, that you can put, you know, graphene infused down to the molecular level of the thread. And I started looking at what Lululemon was doing with yoga and what Arterex was doing and what Patagonia was doing. And, um, you know, I'm just a, a nerd like that when I'm like, wow, after being a grunt and having like so much chafing and my skin yeah. falling apart with the with the fucking gear the Marine Corps gave me, you know, it's like especially in Panama, like you're and I'm and being a sensor op guy and a grunt. I mean, my pack until we bury and do sensor reconnaissance is like 100 extra pounds of batteries and sensor gear that we're going to be burying and then yeah. setting and then putting up relays. So we're sitting there with an old school ruck on cotton BDUs, you know, crotch rot, trench foot, <laughs> armpits falling out, soaking wet with this freaking cami paint on to where you're yeah. praying somebody shoots you. You're just like coming out of my misery. Like, yes. I don't even know if I can drop this pack fast enough to get at the at the ready to, to Dude, zero my, in on you. My son's in the 82nd Airborne Division and uh, oh, he, he knows. He called me uh, the other day and he was, you know, he zoomed, he uh, FaceTimes me and, and he's showing me all the gear they issued him, you know, and I'm looking at it. I'm like, dude, that is nothing. Like his rock is like high tech, you know, compared oh, to all the sweet stuff. Yeah. Compared to the crap I had. Cause I was, I was in the army about the same time you were in the Marine Corps. I was 94 to 2003. And 
You know, Mountains and mountain rocks. Oh, dude, like the that metal frame rock <laughs> thing that just digs in your back. I think I still have permanent like like knots, you know, in my in my lower back feel, just yeah. from oh unbelievable. Anyway, yeah, it was, yeah that, no, that's it. It was a metal frame yeah. with a full-on mountain rock to go over it. Yeah, and then they wanted you to cover it in duct tape because you know it made too much noise. Everything right, clink, 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 all the rivets are out of it, you know, half of it's hanging off. Oh, oh my gosh. But you know what though? The good thing about those Alice packs is they lasted forever. Like they were painful. They they were torture devices, but they would you turn them in, someone else would get them, they'd last for years. The new ones, I mean, they're cool, but the frames break, like uh, well, they know, went man. through the Marine Corps went through some weird. I remember it was like after it was the mountain ruck, it was the vector gear, and that didn't last long because it had the plastic pieces. Yeah. Uh, so was, one piece would one piece would break and then the whole system yeah. was was messed well, I was up. in and then it was the Molly. Yeah. I was in 98 to 05. So I, my first pack was an Alice pack. And then we got the second generation. Well, I didn't, I never got the vector. I got the Molly pack, the okay. upgraded one, which wasn't too bad, but the Molly was, the Molly was a godsend compared to the original. Yeah. Steel but, frame. I mean, we had an issue back then, like the frames would break, you know, and it wasn't even doing anything crazy. It was just, well, you got a broken frame. Now what, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, it was, uh, if we're getting off topic, but I'm no, 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 it's all good. Well, I mean, that's just the thing. Like we, you know, the military gets contracts, they pay and they yeah. say, what's going to be, what's going to fit everybody. So dude, when so I got I'm, to Hawaii, when I got to Hawaii, they were still issuing us Vietnam era, the green jungle boot with the steel plate in it. Like you, when you got to Hawaii, you signed in and they, they gave you, here's two pairs of green jungle boots, you know, and I think they just had cases of them <laughs> left over right. from Vietnam. I mean, it literally was the Vietnam boot. You know, and we, I loved them because they look cool, but we I loved them too. They were the, they, that was like the, if you were infantry, you wanted to go out and especially buy those because it kind of yeah. like separated you from the metal horn, yes, big cold weather one or the, you know, the yeah. basic. And that's, that stuff one. lasted forever though. You know, yeah, the, the canvas, the canvas, you know, green OD green jungle boot was my favorite. Cause it was, <laughs> yeah. it was cool looking, but it did not do well on your feet unless you got, you know, you could go to those places and get the soles cut off basically make it a tennis shoe but right unbelievable right. anyway yeah that, for the that, first time i on my first float i was telling you guys before we before we started recording when when dev group came on our our, right. our ship uh, on on the um it was the saipan it's not commissioned anymore but on the saipan on the 26 mu and they went in and basically handled milosevic's stepping down and everything else clinton did some carpet bombing and, and whatnot. But I remember looking at these guys and like, we all lifted weights. We thought we were tough. And I remember I was a corporal at the time on my first float. And I remember the dev crew guys coming in and we felt like we were little kids. Like these dudes came in broad shoulders, long hair, some of them beards, yeah, like, no rank, no nothing. And, and I remember just thinking like, God, I feel, I don't feel alpha at all anymore. But I remember these dudes had, uh, they had, uh, Adidas and Nike kangaroo skin boots. Really? Were like, yeah, that were like soccer boot, like soccer yeah. style kangaroo leather, like the Samba classic style. And then it had tennis shoe grade on the bottom. And it was like these badass, like, and, and they still, Nike makes the ones that a lot of those guys wear now. Yeah, you can, wear, remember looking can at wear Nike now. It's crazy. Yeah, I remember looking at them and just thinking, God, that makes so much sense. Like, yeah, you can, yeah. you can run in that. Like, wow. It's almost like they want you to be able to move while you're gunfighting. And then I'm looking at my spit shined 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Big time jungle boots. Vietnam right? jungle boots. Yeah, dude. Yeah, like I'm and, a good and, little pawn in the mix. <laughs> and had you shown up in those boots that those guys, the Dev guys said that you'd have been, you'd have got court martialed or something. Article. Yeah, you'd have been kicked out of formation. They weren't. Yeah. Yeah, they, they weren't part of it. They I love it. it. I, you know, when we when I went to um, Afghanistan, we went from. Because we had to go meet up with the Mew that was already out there. I was with Shriggs. It was just a, a four-man team that got sent. So we flew commercial from like Lejeune to, I don't remember what international airport from the, to the U.S. we flew. But we flew uh, commercial to Oman. Got in Oman. We're wearing old-school desert camis with black jungle boots, <laughs> right? Like didn't, have, didn't have anything else. And we get there and they give us our first pair of, of deserts. And it was like, it was just the weirdest kind of goat rope of going in to then stage in Pakistan to then go take Kandahar. I was like, it, it kind of reminded me of that movie Jarhead. I was like, wow, this is, this is, oh yeah. 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 This is how it really looks like we want. Yeah. We'll, we'll keep this to ourselves, but it was in, you know, it was those memories that we all just talked about and then doing um, all of the activities that I was doing in Hong Kong. And, and having access to all of these different fabrics and having the relationships with the factories where they were like, dude, give us your design and we'll make you a couple of sets of them, which normally, you know, in a factory, you have an MOQ, a minimum order quantity of like 1,500, 3,000 this. You've got to put a deposit down for the yardage of the fabric. You've got to test the fabric. You've got to put the deposit down on the yardage. Then the yardage has to get shipped to the cut and sew. And then they, you know, it's just, it's, it's a, I love the process. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a process, but, um, you know, they'd say, "Hey, dude, if you want us to just make you some blacked out kits of this, give us your design." And that's where the that's where the first, you know, Phantom Pants, Chaos Pants, the three layer jacket system was designed. And I was wearing that with one of my co founders, who's still an active duty Green Beret, um, Tristan Hungerford, and uh, a couple other guys who were pro staff guys who were SEALs, and um, some Force Recon and some Marsat guys. And my buddies would say, "Hey, we want to order." you know, 15 kits, or we want to order 25 kits. And so that's really how Virtus was born. It was making gear out of tech fabrics, testing them for the, for the things that I was doing. So I was like, look, these, my, my brothers that are doing all these operations, they are rock climbing. They are halo jumping. They are paragliding. They are doing all of these things. They need these kind of functional fabrics. They're just also armed and wearing a plate carrier, but there's no reason they shouldn't be using this tech when this is an indestructible fabric, this graphene base layer that weighs nothing will keep you, will literally heat up when your body's cold and will, will cool down when your body's hot. The same thing. I can wear this abseiling in a waterfall. And when I'm freezing, this, this will heat my body up. Now, when so you're I'm talking you know, about, you're talking about the phantom pants. This is the material you're talking about. No, no, no. This, this would be the material that was on, that is on the Scott short sleeve and the Scott long sleeve. Okay. The, all of all I'm just of looking at all your stuff. Yeah, yeah. All the all the materials, all the garments have a different tech fabric in them. But I'm just giving you one for example that really, like, like the graphene infused stuff, got my got my my mind ticking off the bat to saying I need to make some stuff doing this because also like as a grunt, um, you, it's all about how much weight you're carrying around, right? It's like okay, how much. <laughs> What can I wear that I can take off quickly and wash and put back on that's not going to chafe me to where I'm not packing three pairs of camis? Like, right. what can I wear that's not going to stink? What can I wear that has sun protection? What can I wear? Like, the, the initial Helios that we made. Okay, I want a face covering. I want to be protected. Like, it, it's funny during COVID, everyone's like, oh, you guys are putting masks. I was like, dude, we've been putting masks in our freaking base layer since 2014. Like, this 
This is a, this is a baklava, but, um, you know, the Astraeus jacket, fully waterproof, windproof that goes over the Helios, you know, that also folds into itself zips into itself in a pouch. And then the Proteus jacket that goes over those windproof, waterproof and zips within itself goes in the back, um, part of the Astraeus and gives you lower lumbar support for when you're driving a Hummer. You know, so all of this Crazy. stuff was thought out to how can I pack this while I'm paragliding? How can I, you know, how, how can I take like the stuff that I love about Lululemon and Patagonia and bring and, and have it cross pollinate with something that I can use in the, in the tactical arena or for what I was doing, kind of going behind enemy lines again to where if I've got to bail out of a, you know, rice paddy area of China um, with a bag of cash, you know, how can I, how can I bolt out and, and move quickly? And not look like a 5'11 Johnny operator, <laughs> but still look like a civilian, um, you know, still still be able That's to go, cool. you know, wear what I'm wearing here to go into a gunfight, but take my wife out for dinner. So, you know, that's that's kind of where Virtus Outdoor Group was born. And the name <clears throat> Virtus is Latin for warrior virtues. When I got out, studied, you know, double majored in philosophy and religious studies. And started University of Tennessee, you know, I was already starting to feel this woke culture that's just, that's insane right now. But I was feeling it from the students and, and definitely from the faculty. And it was, oh, you were a Marine. Oh, you were over in Afghanistan. Like, what do you, you know, we have no right to be over there. America sucks, this and that. Man, man, I'm sitting there like, I thought I was in fucking Tennessee. Like, what? Yeah, that is, is interesting going on? to like, hear. God, country, core. Like, what are you clowns talking about? But to be fair, if I'd have been in, if I'd done poli sci, I'd have been with a bunch of attractive people that were going to be pharmaceutical reps, <laughs> right? Yeah, right. I, I, took philo I took philosophy, which is probably, you're, you're going about as far down the left rabbit hole there as you can go. So it was my ignorance taking the classes, but in the humanities, regardless, I was feeling this attack. And it was interesting. I'd have certain professors that would pull me aside and be like, brother, thank you for your service. Like, you right. know, God bless the Marine Corps. Like, like literally looking me in the eyes, like I have to say these things in class. <laughs> like, don't like, you know, and it was so weird to me thinking, well, I wasn't paying the VA was paying the, 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 my GI bill with the kicker was actually paying me as a single father to have a, you know, paying my rent, paying my car payment and, and letting me live to go to school. So, but I was thinking, God, like people are going in debt to learn from these fools. <laughs> like I, I blew my mind. I was like, I just, I, I can't believe it. And learning about, you know, the, 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 the legionnaires, the Roman centurions and Virtus, this warrior virtue and being a Christian and visualizing why Paul in Ephesians gives us the full armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shoes, the gospel of peace, pick up the shield of faith to extinguish the flaming darts of the enemy and the shield of, I'm sorry, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And I'm visualizing this. And I'm just like, God, that is what we're missing. Like that is what is missing in the arena that these young people need to be, you know, embracing. It's, you why know, you, we have the fruits of this. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, why do you think that is missing? I mean, it, what you're talking about makes so much sense, but it, you know, like you go to a college, why, why, where did we get off track? Like, what's your opinion about that? My dad jokes about it. He's a Vietnam vet. And he said, when he was in school, they had kind of the Marxist, pro-communist jackasses that were, you know, TAs that weren't professors, but were the yeah. teaching assistants. And they kind of had their own little, 
you know, subgroups and everyone laughed at them was just like, God, these clowns. Well, they're the ones who stuck around. Yeah, they're they're, the, they're the professors now. Now they are the they're the ones with tenure. They're the deans. They're the it, it, you know they stuck around. Yeah, and you know a lot of people say those who who can't do teach. Now to some extent in universities, I I I will agree with that. I started a Macy program in Hong Kong to get my master's of social and civic entrepreneurship, a Macy degree at Bobby, and the GI Bill was paying for that too. I quit because I asked one of the professors there how on this ledger sheet I could overbill my clients and basically make my own profit for DJW Holdings because I was doing it live time. And I'm asking the man that I'm paying, who's the who's going to give me my master's in social and civic entrepreneurship, how he would advise me to do that. And he goes, I have no idea. I've never run a company. I've never had a business. Oh, wow. And I quit that day. I was just like, dude, you're useless. Like what, what, yeah. what I'm doing this live time. Well, you can't well, tell me how to do this. Here's the scary thing too. So what you're talking about from your dad's era, you know, most of that, what we'll call woke, you know, woke culture, Marxism, socialist, whatever, right. That these, that we would find on college campuses, right. You know, up until, you know, 10 years ago, that was a college thing. Like colleges were super liberal and, you know, and that's where it's always started, right? The feminist movement, the hippie movements, yeah. all these things are at the college level, right? Well, our son, our son, who's 11, he was in fifth grade last year. He dealt with more stuff in his fifth grade year than I, I, I can't, I don't want to get into it, but he dealt with like a lot woke of stuff? woke stuff. And I'm talking wow. about, you name the topic. He, he yeah. had... He had to deal with some racism stuff. He had to deal with some transgender stuff. He had to deal with some uh, homosexuality stuff. He had to deal with, um, like, I hate America. He had to deal with. A He's kid 11? That, he was in fifth grade, bro. Fifth grade. It was insane. Wow. It, and he was only in class for two and a half months last year here in Nevada. You know, we weren't even a full school year. It, yeah. Absolute insanity. And the school district failed at every level. Our public school system yeah. here failed at every level. Clark County School District, I'll call them out, failed at every level to protect yeah. my kid, to teach my kid, whatever it is. So this is the first year. This is our youngest child. And this is the first time we ever even considered paying for school. And to your point, we put him at, at a Lutheran school here in Las Vegas. Um, you know, and we felt like as a family, like that's what's missing. Like I... I don't put anybody down. I believe in freedom. Like I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. Mm -hmm. I'm not a libertarian. I am a, I like to call myself a constitutionalist. Amen. I, I believe that you can believe whatever you want to believe. If you want to believe the sky is purple, mm -hmm. you want to call your cat, your wife or your cat, your, I, I don't care. It yeah. just, you know, I, I'm going to do me and, and I believe you have the right to do that. So definitely shouldn't be teaching that in school. Um, and it, for us, it was this school taught, you know, is, is getting away from that wokeness and mm -hmm. there was some, some God and some virtue, you know, he goes yeah. to, he takes a, um, it's called, uh, Christ, I haven't screwed up, but it's like one in Christ is a class he has to take on one of his block schedules, you know, and it's, they're not pounding Christianity down his throat. They're teaching mm -hmm. him how to, they are teaching him Christianity, but it's how to be a man be a good husband and father at some point, be a good citizen and do that within <laughs> Christian values. And I, dude, I am a hundred percent with you on why you, you know, that perspective on why 
I wanted to name my company this because I saw this issue at the collegiate mm-hmm. level. Sadly, mm-hmm. it's it's down to fifth grade now. That's bro. That that is so sad. You know, I think something that's that's missing is path and purpose, right? Yeah. We you, you know the North Korean defactor that's been on Joe Rogan, been on the Drinking Bros podcast. That was basically at um, Columbia, right? She was at, Colum- at, at Columbia. Yeah. I and can't think of her name, but I know who you're talking about. Yeah, it's like yeah, Shel- she's, Shelmy, she's, Shelmy Park, maybe Naomi Park, Naomi Park. That sounds that? yeah. I think that's her. The I'll only North credit. Korean defector on Rogan yeah. that's been that's been yeah. pretty vocal. I know who you're talking about. Yeah, but she said, you know, she said it was pathetic. This woke culture and people virtue signaling in a country where they have everything and they're just creating yeah. problems to have to have something. And, you know, you look at the Brothers K, right? You, you look at Dostoevsky's Brothers Karamazov and you look at, at the, you know, at Ivan saying, if there is no God, if there's no path, if there's no purpose, then I will rape. I will steal. I will abuse. I will do whatever I want because it's, there, there's no purpose. There's, there's no consequences. I am me. You look at Victory Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. He who has a why can deal with any how. And I think when we have a culture that says it is all about you, it's all about you, yeah. you are special, you can be whatever you want, you weren't born anyway, it's your decision, it's this and that, we get on this slippery, so you, you look at people who it's all about just trust the science, trust the science. Science is magic. Let's just get that out on the table. We, we, we call magic science, right? Science tries to explain creation. Creation doesn't try to explain science. Science says there's a big bang. I agree with that. God said, boom, let there be light. That's that's biblical. You know, I have always said that God, if religion is true, God is the the greatest scientist. He's your OG scientist. Like science doesn't disprove religion. Science explains how God did it. It, it, Science explains it. It's it's right. how, how How we don't understand. We can't explain it. Right. We can't do it. But right. Science, science justifies religion. Science right. explains well, religion. Like you said, and when they wrote the Bible and, you know, 2000 years ago or whatever, that they didn't know how to say, you know, uh, evolution and these things, you know, it's, it's, it's more of a mystical sounding thing. That's where magic comes from. It's, it's scientists and religious right. people that are creating miracles. And, you know, yeah. Anyway, I'll get off on a whole different tangent. There. No, I love it. I love yeah, it. Yeah. It's like, it. It's like I've always said that God is the ultimate scientist, the original scientist, the, the creator, right? The, yeah. the, the 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 creator. But it's you know I, I see people that are so afraid of things going on, and we again talked before we started recording about you know the war on terror and red threat, yellow threat, and kind of us all being on edge for things that yes, there's terrorism, there are things blowing up, but there's way more people dying every day of type two diabetes. Yeah, there is way more people dying of heart disease. The you know, FDA and science scientists told us cigarettes were healthy for the longest time. And and look, you know, going into that whole that whole arena, I'm with you. People, be free. if you're not hurting children, if if it's two consenting adults, do whatever you want to do. I don't want to see it. You don't want to see what me and my wife do. We're not gonna like just you. You do you. I'll do me. Let's agree in the street to be kind and respect each other. Yeah. You, I see you hurting. I will go out of my way to try to help you. I hope you would do the same for me. But we're in an we're in an, an arena right now where the 
actual language is trying to be changed and, yeah. and controlled. And I mean, you know, that was, I, I, got, I got turned on to Jordan B. Peterson on his first book. I'd never heard of him. Somebody said, read 12 Rules for Life. I loved it. Good, good book. Anyone who hadn't re read it, if you don't like reading, just skip to the Coda chapter. It's the cliff notes. It's the very end of the book. You get everything you need to know right out of the Coda chapter, and you don't have to listen to any of the you know, scientific data points. But um, you know, he was one of the most vocal about these uh, pronouns and about kind of the, 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 the woke culture and, right. and how the real Marxist control is changing the language. And me being spending so much time in China and looking at Mao and Putonghua, where he basically made a four-tone language and took everyone's local dialect and said, no, now Putonghua is ah, 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 ah. Now there's four tones instead of nine or 16. In Hong Kong, there's nine tones in Cantonese. And Mao said, language of the common people. That's basically what Putonghua means. And I start to see the similarities you know, of, of what's going on with language control and the way we communicate and the censorship. I mean, we are in, we are in a time where we definitely need the warrior virtues. Yes. And yes, we, yeah. we, 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 we need to man up. We need strong men. We need strong women. Um, and we need to, we need to be able to say things that offend each other. You know, well, I, I was telling you guys before that I invested in restaurants yeah. I invested in, in restaurants because when I was sourcing, I was losing so much of my profit margin on having offices because we were only doing having some head honcho come in maybe once or twice a week to do a different deal. And you want to show them this beautiful office where they can see all of Hong Kong out. You might be paying 8,000, 9,000 US a month for that office because Hong Kong real estate's some of the most expensive in the world and you're barely there. You want to have a pretty secretary there to greet them. What does everyone want to do after they've said, okay, cool, show us the paperwork. We've seen your office. Great. Woohoo. We trust Let's you. Let's go get some drinks. Let's yeah. eat. Let's eat yeah. and drink. And I realized dealing with Muslims, dealing with mainland Chinese, dealing with Japanese, dealing with Indians, dealing with, and this is where, you know, God in his sense of humor really rewarded the religious studies that I had double majored in religious studies because I, I could respectfully communicate and, and be in a, in an interesting conversation with people that were that were Muslims, you know, I've read the Quran. People that were studied Hinduism, I'd, I've read the Upanishad and the Rig Veda and the, you know the Buddhists and and whatnot. But everybody that disagrees in an office and will sit there and start to kind of you know the Israelis will push over this and like, you know yeah everybody will start eating and drinking. Yeah, let's break Get some bread. People around a table and people are sitting down. They're not standing. They're not standing off. Their palms are on the table. The body language changes. People are leaning in to get attentive to hear what he said. She said, everybody picks, you know, sharing menus and you start getting, you start building that rapport and people start dropping all of the kind of the walls and the, and the boundaries that they had before. Social media is the worst yeah. <laughs> at the algorithms of saying, don't sit at the table. Don't make a beautiful buffet of all the different cultures and ideas here. We're going to separate you guys and only show you pictures of this kind of girl that we want you to look at or this kind of shoe we want you to have or these kind of people that love Trump or love Biden or, you know, support this or support that. And it it separates us. It yeah. segregates us. And then you top that in with censorship. And it's yeah, like, unbelievable. It's literally 1984. I mean, I was telling you guys how my Facebook got deleted when I, but that, not, not like permanently disabled 
when I moved to socialist Spain. And it's nothing to knock on Spain. I'm a, I'm a, I've been a foreigner in other countries. I've been the immigrant for the last 15 years. So I'm grateful to be in any country that I can do business in. And until I, until I, you know, finally retire or move back before to, to Tennessee. But um, it's, you know, it's interesting. I come here, I'm immediately banned and I'm in a socialist country and it's the norm. I get these, everybody puts out on Instagram. There's a new, you, you've got to go into the sensitivity. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What do you call it? The, you got to go and check this box so that you can see any picture or video. I don't have that option in Spain. Oh, wow. Really? Instagram. Now I do on my Virtus account because I, we, where we started that in Knoxville, Tennessee, it gave me the three boxes, my personal and my Vogue tack bag, two boxes. Oh, wow. Right. That's, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Same company, so, same company, same platform, same, same yeah. platform, same everything. And visually there is no other box. And I put my VPN on and everything doesn't change. So it's we, you know, we, we are shelled and controlled. We are rats in a maze where now there's walls being put up to separate us from communication. And now there's others that are having walls put in front of them to not be able to finish the maze. So, you know, we're in, and, and, you know, I think this is why you guys asked me to do this podcast is because we train, we want people to wake up and we want people to be self-reliant. We want to, we want to help build that tenacity to where people are like, okay, gosh, because there's, there's one of two things. I mean, I told you guys, I used to self-medicate heavily with drugs and alcohol, even when I was living what society would call a very successful life. And I was the most dangerous addict because I wasn't doing it every day. I was doing it as a reward to binge and just not have to, you know, work so hard to instead of finally celebrating and being grateful and looking around, I'm looking at all of the chaos going on around me and it's affecting me so badly. All I want to do is numb myself and disappear down, down a black hole until it's time to wake up, go through the guilt, guilt Gosh, tsunami and get the next deal going. That's, that's such an interesting way to put that. I've never really thought about, you know, addiction comes and goes in different forms. We all know people that really, really struggle. And you could point at him and go, oh, that dude, oh, yep, he's struggling. He looks like an addict, you know, and they go to the meetings and they do all these things. The way you just described that is is so interesting to me that you were you were in an addiction role that was that was you're not sitting there every day waking up having to, you know, uh, drink or whatever. Right. And but you did it as a reward and you binged on the reward you know, like, ah, oh, man, I'm so successful. You know what I'm going to do is I'm going to do some Coke and do some drinking for three days and celebrate. Like that's me celebrating. And that's so destructive, so destructive. Oh, right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. I mean, and but you were it, functioning, I mean, at a high level. Yeah. 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 And do it alone and let my shareholders and wife know I'm going to be gone for two days or 36 hours or 48 hours or whatever, like my own little agogi. <laughs> and right. Just turning off the noise, turning off the light, turning off my phone and just going in completely deep to turn off the noise and, and, and turn off everything. Um, and, ha- and literally having that as a reward. And I, it wasn't until being sober, I've been stone sober for three and a half years. I would go on little, I'm going to be sober for six months. Or I'm going to be sober for 12 months to get right. this deal done. Immediately deal will get done off, off my fucking tits. Like, so, so raw. for our listeners, if you don't follow David on social media, David is extremely fit. He does extreme fitness. He does daily fitness. He's probably the most fit dude I've ever seen on the planet. So it's all filters. 
It's all filters. That's okay. I dude, trust me. It's all good. But no, my point being is, is that he was this fit. Yeah. I mean, you were doing these things while you were doing like, I mean, you wouldn't know, right? Like you were still super fit, very engaged in your, in your fitness regimen, you know, while you were self-medicating basically and still being yeah. successful. Hey, will you, so before we start, would you mind sharing the story about your mom and, and, how I think our listeners would love to hear that if you don't mind sharing that about yeah, your my mother mom got really sick, really sick from, you know, type two diabetes had to go on the, um, gosh, what do you call it? Dialysis. dialysis. Yeah. Yeah. I had to go on dialysis. Um, and just couldn't function with that. Got really sick, was bedridden. Um, she died a few years back, but this is when she had first started to really wither away, um, about three and a half years ago. Well, pushing four years. I flew back from Hong Kong to see her, um, got sloshed on the flight back, did my normal, you know, a bunch of whiskeys. Um, that was my thing, whiskey and cocaine. I didn't do a bunch of blow this time on the plane before seeing my mom. Thankfully, I made it through TAA. But um, went and snuggled with her, went and held her and told her all of these stories that I, that I remembered. I was sobbing on the plane. I thought she was going to go at any moment. I was going to miss it. And I was going to be doing all this, you know, business crap. It didn't matter. And... You know, my mom was a a Jewish girl, Israeli parents, immigrants, on the boat immigrants, like mother fled Russia as a Ashkenazi Jew, and dad was a Sephardic Jew, basically Israelis, right? Go figure. Um, And married my dad, you know, they were hippies. He went to Vietnam. She thought he was going to go to law school. He had a miraculous conversion, come to Jesus moment, and ended up not going to law school, going to seminary. So here's my mom. And let me back up. Her dad, her mom died of hepatitis C of a liver disease, got a bad blood transfusion um, and died when she was 17. And her her dad died when she was 20. So no one else, just my dad. My dad was a pastor's kid too. the woods. Our lineage goes back all the way to the Delaware purchase. We fought in every major battle in American history. Hoorah. Um, Hoorah. And so she's married to this guy who's a Christian now, you know, conversion. Hey, baby. Love you. You know, we used to smoke dope and ride horses and eat, eat acid and whatnot. And now I'm going to go to seminary. And she had a miraculous conversion as well. Like, he took her to hear a pastor um, and he came out, took her in the car and was, and this is when he broke the news to her, like, honey, I'm not going to go to law school. He was at UMass. Um, he had been working at Bethesda as an OR tech post Vietnam. And Gets her in the car and she says, John, my dad, her name is Marianne. My dad's name is John. She said, John, I felt something in there that I never felt in synagogue. Like I felt like Jesus is the Messiah and he's the fulfillment to everything that I've ever been taught from the, the Torah, the Tanakh, the Nediavim, and the Kediavim. Right. And wow. so, wow. Yeah. And so she becomes a Christian like that. Um, and and being a being a pastor's wife is no easy feat, especially growing up, you know, young pastor, yada, yada, growing up. And, you know, and we, we started in Boston. I was born in Chattanooga, Tennessee, but then we we moved up to Boston, a lot, you know, Southie, a lot of Irish, a lot of badasses, a lot of Catholics a lot, a lot, and, and some Protestants. It's not so like, my, my people, <laughs> your people. It's not the happiest, coziest place for the for the for the Hebrew pastor's wife. Newly the, Hebrew, the Hebrew Christian the Hebrew. Uh, yeah, the, yeah. The, the Messianic Jew, the Messianic Jew, the Dune Coon. Um, and so but my mom was tough as nails. You know, she would take us just and, and this goes back to what I was saying to her in bed. I remember her taking us out for ice cream, taking us through rough neighborhoods, always being with us, never smoking, never drinking, 
cooking three meals a day, reading me bedtime stories, just being the greatest mom that I can, being such a wonderful, illuminating human being of like, this is what a mother is. Like telling me, I love you. Tell, I'd get my ass kicked at school saying, we're going to get you into boxing classes. I love you. Don't take shit from anyone. Like you are worth it. Like, you know, just, just a, an absolute badass. And I'm telling her these vivid stories and she weeps and she says, you know, I can basically die knowing this. But then she did, but then she plays devil's advocate and says, you know, you've got your children. You've raised your son by yourself. He's seen your ups and downs. You've always taken care of him. But are you loving him? You know, you've got your little twin girls. The girls were probably two at the time. So they were just, you know, just getting out of diapers, running around and starting to, to talk smack. But are they going to have these memories? Are, are they going to be able to lay in bed with you and say, my dad was there? They're going to say, my dad was awesome. We had a great house. I never really got to know him, but man, he, right, you right. know, my bank account was great. Right. And it, and it, you know, it crushed me and it, it was just a total wake up call. I went in my old bedroom in the next room, fell to my freaking knees and just cried out to the Holy spirit. I'd never done that before. Um, I wasn't raised a charismatic Christian. I was raised by a, by a theologian doctrine, everything by the book. You know, my dad can read Aramaic, Latin, uh, Greek, German. So, I mean, literally translations of the Bible, you know, and, and we've never been a charismatic household. It's always been, here's what it says. Here's what I think this means. And, and not to say that, that we don't believe in the power of the Holy spirit. It's just, you, you've got such a, a different spectrum from kind of theologian and, and charismatic, um, Christians, but I was so overwhelmed when my mom was telling me this. And I think I was so overwhelmed by her love as a mother, knowing she's dying. Um, and that advice that I just got on my face and, and cried out to God and just said, take it away from me. You know, please fill me with your Holy Spirit and cut this tie. And it, and it was, it was immediate. It was, you know, I haven't touched anything since. Um, and it incredible. was, it, it was, you know, one of those moments where what God showed me, you know, and people say, David, you're so strong for being able to do this. It, it physically, spiritually, and emotionally wasn't me that made the click in my brain, you know? We are created in the Father's image. We are his DNA. Like when we go back to the Holy Spirit and say, take away all this crap that the world is putting on me, reconnect me to you. That's reconciliation, literally, because of the atonement, because of the crucifixion. He's there. I mean, and it was, you know, it was like that. Now, I'm not saying every person that does this will have the exact same experience that, that I have. But every person that I've walked through with it that is wholeheartedly with faith gone into it to see God's face has had the exact same experience I have, 100, 100% of them, all of them. Um, but one of the most important things, if not the most important part of kind of what God showed me at that point and where I, my stance is on it now, drugs and alcohol were an enemy to me, to David. Right. Right. I use these things as some people use sex, as some people use fits of rage as some people use money. I mean, fuck as some people use chocolate. Um, I do not think drugs are bad and I do not think alcohol is bad. I think all drugs should be legal. I think I, I I've never met a pothead that I didn't like. I've never seen anybody, you know, take mushrooms and go beat their family or anything. I, I think alcohol could be probably one of the most toxic things that I've ever seen as far as seeing people change. 
and do things that they never would have done. You know, people say, oh, when you're drunk, what really is in you comes out. And I say, dude, they call it spirits for a reason. I've seen people say and do things that are definitely not in them. And that's not even in that person. Like that yeah. was the tequila talking or that was just not talking. Now for me, um, drugs and alcohol were a mask that was keeping me from being who I was supposed to be. So I am not one of these people that says ban alcohol, ban drugs. I think we are, we should be free to do whatever, whatever we want to do. It's a great place where the government could make some amazing taxes when they legalized uh, marijuana in Colorado. And I went to Boulder where I used to mountain bike and, and hang out with some cool folks in the uh, R and D development of textiles. Heroin use had dropped. It had plummeted. Uh, domestic violence, domestic abuse, spouse abuse, child abuse had plummeted. And there were brand new mountain biking trails and rock climbing faces everywhere. And the money for public education had, had skyrocketed. So, you know, mm -hmm. I don't want anybody listening this, to this to say, oh, if you, you know, believe in Jesus, you can't drink or do anything. That, that's not the case. We as individuals have our own problems and our own things that we need to deal with. And my problems were cocaine and alcohol. Um, and, and the bigger problem of that was masking downtime that should have been celebrated as saying, God, I've got a wife that I love and kids that are healthy. I, this is the celebration. Let me just spend time with them. Let's go freaking hike. Like, let's go yeah. out. Let's, let's go eat. Like, this is the celebration. This is who I'm working for. And, you know, my dad said to me, you're getting something done that is extremely hard that you've done. And I'm not talking about the physical, I'm talking about like a business deal, but we can right. take it to the physical. We could, they, they, they transcend to one another. Say you're, 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 you're cleaning out your body to do an Ironman or just a basic triathlon. We'll just start a basic triathlon, which is still fucking hard, right? You're cleaning out your body. You're doing this triathlon. And then at the end of the triathlon, instead of saying, that was amazing. I'm going to go fill up on branched chain amino acids, sushi. I'm going to pound water take electrolytes. And then I'm going to think about what's my next task. I want to do a Ironman or I want to do a longer triathlon. And then my trajectory in a year is a, is a freaking Ironman. Cause that's right. Tip top. Like you can do an Ironman. You're, you're a fucking beast. I've never done an Ironman. I'd like to do one, but that that's one of the goals. Like that's, that's a, you're a beast, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah I was saying, sure. yeah, I was saying, Hey, I just finished a triathlon. Now I just want to go pollute my body. I just that's did this such, for this long. Now such I wanna, a great analogy, dude. That, that you is, know? That and is, it was let me poison myself instead of thinking about my next milestone. So it was a total loss of momentum. Like just you're you're taking two bang steps your head on the wall, backwards. bang your head on the door. Yeah, just yeah, exactly. Dude, um, that is how did you how did you justify that? Just out of curiosity, yeah, because like you obviously I knew. thought that I I honestly it was ego. It was ego. all ego to the deepest. It was, I can fucking do what I want. I deserve this. I just did this deal. It wasn't looking at it as I would have never gotten this deal. If my partner and shareholder hadn't introduced me to this guy, I would have never gotten to this point. If I hadn't been able to come do ministry work to help these people and this people, like the only reason any of this has happened or lined up has been God ordained. And I'm taking something that I'm just hedging the wheels on and taking ownership of it when it's not mine to take ownership of, you know, everything that I've done. And I, and looking in retrospect, it's just, it, it, man, you know, and Jocko says this a lot, the ego is, Oh yeah. It's the worst. It's I, the worst. If you let it control you, it is the, it is right down into the abyss of darkness. Did I find myself, I mean, you're talking about things. So I, you know, I have a sales background. I, 
sales and different things and putting deals together. So I'm understanding that feeling, that euphoria you're talking about where it's a battle. I mean, it's a, it carries over from our, our, I think our, our natural caveman instinct into, you know, our military backgrounds and then into the real world, right. Where it's just this natural, I enjoy the battle. I want to win. I, I enjoy the maneuvering, the tactics. I, I truly enjoy actually learning about people's business and things that I'm trying to sell to whatever that is. But I do, I, I am so guilty of, I, I did this. I sold right. this, you know, and I mean, in the, you know, in one of the businesses I'm involved in now with screen printing and embroidery and, you know, there's a whole shop of people, you know, you know, right, could, right, right. There's a whole shop of people. I got, a, I got a, an assistant that sits right next to me that pounds her head against the wall all day long doing the same thing I'm doing. You know, I mean, it's not, you know, and then there's the shop manager and there's the guy that's, you know, the lady that's trimming the embroidery. If, if none of those, those cogs in the wheel were working, it's, it's a square wheel, man. It's like, but I, I, yeah. I dude, I'm, you're totally speaking my language. I totally fall into that well, and, all the and time. The thing, and the thing with that is if you, and good on you knowing how, how amazing your team is. And it's just like, if we, if we do something collectively, we all get to celebrate it. Yeah. If we do something by ourselves, we're only the only person that's proud of us is us. Yeah, it's, sucks. it's pretty you lonely. Know? And we don't get it's lonely and we don't get to share with anybody. And I think and, and this even goes up. I mean, I guys, I'm, I'm nowhere where I need to be. I mean, the I, I'm just happy that I'm not stagnant. I mean, I, I know where my growth needs to continue. I brought on a CFO, um, a, a new CFO about eight months ago. And where we're at growth wise now is a place that I would have never been able to, to be without him. And that's just a fact. Um, and it's all him. And he's not a proud, he's not a cocky guy. He's the numbers guy. And he's, he's a bean counter and that's what he loves to be. And that's what he wants. To be. He's like, David, you can't do this. Like, let me, let me come in here. He's, he's, I actually put the guy in the Marines. He's fellow Marine. Got oh, out yeah. was in oil and gas for a while. And then has, uh, has been in, in a lot of startups, taking the startups, startups to IP or to exit or to series A investors coming in. But, um, I realize a lot, well, for me anyway, the ego is fear. The yeah. real with me, the real ego is fear. It's fear of failure and it's fear of being exposed. It's this tight control and this tight grasp that I have at things because the pride part says, I'm the only one who can get this done. The mature adult says, I need to ask for help from people who I trust and for people who have done this and that can show me how to get this done. We source and help manufacture other, other companies right now. You guys know my brother, Mike Glover, Fieldcraft Survival. Awesome guy. Awesome company. Um, he's running a, 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 a massive apparel line. They'll be in Sportsman's Warehouse, Bass Pro. I'm, we're, Vogue is running that whole sourcing, manufacturing, production line. Warfighter oh, okay. Athletic, my Kiwi special, special Forces Brothers in New Zealand. We did their entire line that they just dropped the whole commando series. We got that done in six months. So myself and my team are getting to say, okay, for this long, um, even with control issues and saying, we've got to do this to this to this, we did it successfully. And we did it so many times incorrectly to get to that moment of success. 
now that we've done that and we know the whole protocol, we can now help other companies do that. And, and some of them we're investing in, we're helping them. Other ones we're saying, okay, let's, let's have this built in the USA. Guys who are doing, needing us to be the prime for DOD or MOD, we say, okay, we do this in the States, very compliant, or we do this in countries that are TAA compliant. And so it's, when you let go of the ego and you kind of open up for questions, you realize there's a whole plethora of other people. And you guys know this. I mean, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. it took me so long to understand is that there is this plethora of people on the same path and the same trajectory with all of these, you know, to, to, to use it as a buffet. It's like this beautiful dinner table. It's this buffet. There's so many different flavors that people can bring in. And I, for the longest time, was just a steak. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> this is this works and this is me i'm this freaking t-bone and we're maybe let a so, little bit of maybe let a little bit of horseradish in so i got a question i'll play devil's advocate for a minute where do you draw the line when you're you're talking about ego you're talking about kind of giving up and and being kind of giving of your your time and everything i'll use a personal example at my current employer i just kind of did what you did and gave up and said all right i'm just gonna do the best i can I'm going to try, did not care who gets the credit, all that stuff. Right. And I found that in doing that, a lot of people are ready to ride your coattails. Right. So you can be as generous and as ego free as, as you can. And all of a sudden all these people jump out of the woodwork and it's like, well, he's not taking credit for it. So I'm going to take credit for it. So how do you, where do you draw the line there? You know, cause I, I could see, I mean, I've had that experience where you people that don't want to work, take advantage of it, you know, contracts. Yeah. Contracts. And, and look, I mean, exactly what you're saying is what, why my, my, my brother, Sean Crawford, the private equity fundraiser in Hong Kong, British cat had me set up DJW holdings. Okay. Cause he saw people just riding on my coattails and saying, Hey, you know, we, and I didn't know, and you don't know what you don't know. Right. And I'd say, yeah, I'll introduce you to the factory. And then that should have been it. It's like, okay, here's the intro, pay me a finder's fee or you know, most of the time I wasn't even asking for a finder's fee because I just didn't know. I didn't know how valuable. So, and that's a great question. I think the, I think the balance goes into, and this again goes into path and purpose, right? right? What is our path? What is our purpose? And what are we trying to help people achieve? What's that goal? Now, how do we define our value okay. to ourselves? We have to love ourselves. We have to take pride in who we are without being a, just a narcissistic bastard. So for me, I would never say, I do these roof sermons. I would never say to somebody, um, I've got another sermon that I'll sell you. Like it's, you know, I, you know, let me tell you about Jesus. Now we can get on a call for nine ninety nine a call, right? Like all we can take to heaven with us is each other. Now on the flip side of that, I sell a dynamic sandbag. I'm not going to get on the phone with you and walk you through my dynamic sandbag workout. Number one, it's my job. Um, right. And number two, if you want it, you'll buy it and it'll come with a deck and you'll have invested in it. If you're not willing to invest in yourself, I can't help you. Yeah. Right. So it's like, yeah. I get asked all the time by people, Oh, you should be giving this and giving this and giving this. And I think I've got a whole office upstairs of shit that people have given me. And I shouldn't say it's shit. Cause it's not shit. It's really nice stuff that people spent time making and it's awesome, but I never use it because they just send it to me. They're like, Hey, put this on and wear this and tag us. And I'm like, all right, dude, I don't mind to do that. You're, I mean, I, I'd only do it for companies where, where it's, I, I, I respect their values, but um, you know, I get stuff all the, all the time like that. 
And if something's good and I use it, I won't let them send it to me for free again. Like I've got some, uh, some, what do you call it? CBD oil where I pay the guys. I'm like, guys, this is your job. I love this stuff. It works. You don't, you know, the inertia waves. I put those on my story all the time. I have a, a discount code. I give it to people so they get the discount. I don't want any money for it. Like, I love the product. I know the dude, Dave, he's a hustler. He's got a, a heart that's too big, but it's like, dude, you you need to be making bank on this. This is a badass product. Like, you made it. You gave this to me for free. I will rep the hell out of it and use it because I actually use it. You believe in you it. Know? You believe in the but mission I, statement. And, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, the, it just works. Like, the product works. So I think there's... And, and I'll say this without, you know, I'll say this without saying any names. Um, there have definitely been some, some folks, to, to answer your question, there have definitely been some folks that I've helped in sourcing and manufacturing. And I've had to say at a certain level, at a certain point, hey, like, I love you, veteran brothers and all, but I, I've given you everything I'm going to give you. Like, I, I'm, not, I'm not doing your work for you. Like, you're saying you're, you own a company, like, do the fucking work. Because if something happens to me and I die tomorrow, you're gonna you're not gonna know how to do this, you know. Yeah. Or you can pay me, and I'll take you to this next milestone. But that's why, again, when I say contract, like we have a manufacturing agreement, we have a camel licensee agreement. Like there's stuff very bulletproof to it. It's like, okay, how much do you? How much of my time do you want? Do you just want introductions? Do you want me to go through and and help you run it? Do you want templates that we've used? And it's basically like you can get people pretty quick to bugger off and go try to ride on someone else's coattails really quick, or that is really interested to, to learn it and pay. And I'd say it's 50, 50 in my experience. Yeah. I, I, I see some of that, not at the level that you're, I mean, you're, you're talking about, you know, international distribution and manufacturing, but I mean, on a small scale, I've got, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to, Everybody names and everybody stuff, but wants favors. yeah, that's, you know, that there, you got your buddy that will go here, here. I'll give an analogy. You got your buddy that calls up and says, Hey man, let's go shooting. And you show up at the range and he brought his, he brought a case of ammo. He brought his gun to share with you that, you know, you like to shoot, you know, he brought a, a cooler of water and, and we go to the range. Right. Then there's the guy that goes, dude, we got to go shooting. And you show up. And I've got 15 guns with 15 different types of ammunition. And he, he's like, all right, let's shoot. Right. Like, and he, and it's the same way every time. And then he jumps in the car and doesn't help you clean up the targets. And, you know, and he's like, Hey, thanks for teaching me how to shoot buddy, you know, on your dime with your weapons, with your, yeah. I mean, that's, it's, it's such a, a weird, you know, and it isn't everybody, you know, most of our community out the veteran community, we ask for a lot of favors and most of us want to help each other, but, yeah. but there is a point where, you know, but most of us are trying to learn, right? Like, I mean, I don't know. I had some veterans help me when we started Modus nation where we didn't know any, my wife and I didn't know anything about the garment industry. I know yeah. about, I know about, you know, one sliver of information now <laughs> that helps me get around, but you know, there were guys out there that were like, Hey man, let me talk to you for a minute off, off, off cue, you know, and, and help you get to where you need to be. Here's the next step, you know, yeah. kind of thing. But it's interesting that you got, you got millions of people, not millions, you got people sending you, you know, stuff and you're just like, you know, I want to invest in your product, you know, time and energy, if I believe in it. And it's just interesting. I mean, it almost say, yeah. 
well, kind of what you're saying sounds a little bit like, or sounds a lot like, you know, the extreme ownership mindset of setting the expectations clearly up front, just laying it all out. So this is what I expect. This is what I'm going to get in return. These are the milestones I need to hit. I mean, is that kind of basically, I mean, good summary. Yeah, definitely. I mean, in business, hundred percent in, um, it gets tricky in, in relationships when it comes to mentoring and religion. Yeah. Cause yeah. you'll get people that'll say, and I hate it because it's like, I, I feel, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know the right answer. Um, but you'll get people that just want you to be their psychiatrist. And it's yeah. like, <laughs> dude, go get a fucking psychiatrist or go like be accountable about something. Like, I, I don't want to yeah. hear every time you've watched porn, like, I'm busy watching porn. Like, don't know. But it's just like, dude, I don't, like, I, I'm not your priest. You know, I don't, I, I, I'll pray for you and I'll point you to the Bible. I'll point you to the word. Like, if there's one thing I agree with, with the charismatics, it's read the word, like grow in the word. It's like, pick up the sandbag, start with a small mace and use it. Get a Tabata time, like download a Tabata timer start stretching, start doing pushups. Like, don't call me every time and say, I, I didn't work out today. I think I a lot of people work out today. I'm eating McDonald's. It's like, dude, just yeah. don't, you know, what does Jocko say? Just like, do it. Yeah. Do yeah, it just, or don't do it. Yeah. Just do it. Or it's very binary. Yeah. I think yeah, people, they, they reach out because they, it. I think they want that forgiveness from other people. You know, they want you to say, Oh, it's okay. You know? And I think, I think a lot of people do that, you know, Oh, if my friend says it's okay, or, Oh, my friend gave me permission or my friend's doing the same thing, then it makes it acceptable for me to do whatever I'm guilty of doing, you know, at least that's my, my experience, but. I've noticed people that the Spartan races, like the Spartan extreme endurance stuff, the Agogi, that really woke me up. And even just the Spartan races and whole, the obstacle races, the OCR, I mean, there's, it's like I think five or six million Spartan racers globally. That's a that's a pretty big army. That's a big number of yeah. people in, internationally. Um, and seeing people that want to punish themselves, especially in the events that I lead, like like the Agogis and the Spartan Extreme Endurance. Yes. Where, where tell tell, tell winner, our right? yeah, it's tell our listeners what a Agogi is because I don't think everybody knows what it is. But share with them so there's, the there's Spartan Spartan yeah, world, right? And then there's the Agogi. <laughs> so there's Spartan race, right? Spartan race is kind of the mothership. You've got the obstacle racing, you've got the right. mountain series. Um, and then you've got a thing called Spartan extreme endurance. And that's what my company is partnered with Spartan extreme endurance. And we're partnered with them as we provide the clothing, the uniforms for the Cryptea, which are like the cadres, the captains that lead it. Um, and then we give a big discount to, to the participants. Um, we also physically Myself and my pro staff lead the events. We'll write out the, the programming. We'll lead the events globally. I've led probably 25 events from, you know, dozen in China to Mongolia, um, Dubai. Next one's in Abu Dhabi, all over Spain, Italy, wow. um, just all over the Singapore, all over the place. And it's four hour nonstop. Then you, you finish the four hour, you get that little wedge. Then there's a 12 hour. Then there's a 24 hour. So those are basically the three motherships in Spartan Extreme Endurance. Nonstop. You're coming in there. You have no idea what's going to happen. Black on black, headlamp. We have a specific gear list. You've got to bring a ruck. Obviously, the longer the evolution, the more, um, the more stuff, you know, the more, the more things we're going to, we're going to be teaching you to do. Um, and I mean, you've got Paracord, Leatherman, 
the whole nine. Um, the agogi is 60 hours and we usually take it, you know, it's, uh, I've had some that we've had for 75 hours. It's, it's usually about 70, but we, we tell people 60, um, <laughs> to get them in. You lose track. And, yeah. And these are where you're flying somewhere like the, the four hour, 12 hour, 24 hour, like the next four hour I'm doing is next month in Madrid. Then I fly to Mallorca and the Iberian islands outside of Spain to do another four. Then I'll go to Tenerife, which is a Spain, Spanish owned islands, the Canary islands that are, you know, off of Africa. Um, and we'll do a full endurance week. that will have four hour, 12 hour, 24 hour. I'll do some military rough versions. It will be horrible. I mean, very, very hard. Like we drop people. It's not a, a happy time. Like it's very militant. It's, it's very similar to like selection. Um, and it's, it's team building. It's absolute confusion, chaos, team building. There's, you know, people, it's, it's not like the obstacle races where, you know, some of the obstacles and it's like, okay, I can look at the terrain. It's like, they have no idea where we're going to take them. Now the Agogi is you're going out, you're flying to a remote destination. I'll send you guys some links. You can see the one we did in Namibia and you can see the original Mongolia one. Um, but you're going out into, into mother nature and you're going to get a cultural experience. For example, the Mongolia one, we had Mongolian wrestlers come out. Like we, we took these Russian Amtrak vehicles, 14 hours from Ulaanbaatar into Nowhereville. There were wild horses, Mustangs running around. Wow. You could drink the, you could drink the water. Um, we had them run and we're doing it with them. Like it's not us yelling like Jones are just, we're leading. Um, we ran uh, probably 40 miles with packs for the first half of the Agogi. Um, right off the buses, stretched, did our thing. And then it was running all through mountains. Anybody drops, anybody's done, you're done. Get in the vehicle, you're done. You're still staying for the whole event until cleanup and everything. There's no chopper coming to get you. Um, we learned how to- When you say they're, when you say they're done, I mean, are they, they can't participate? Disqualified, DQ'd. Yeah. Okay. So they're, they're just unless, sitting back. Unless uh, someone else wants to pick them up. Unless someone else, you know, you are able, if, you, if it's too much weight, you can take someone else's weight. You can do it. I've seen people, firemen carry people that were falling out. I mean, you get, you get people in, in gut checks. And these agogis, you've got people from, you know, 15 different countries. So we, we try to keep it under a hundred at, at the agogis, probably 75 okay. is, a, is a good amount of time. Um, a lot can go wrong. So it's not like, you know, I was telling you about the one in Dubai where we had 500 people. That's the largest one in Spartan history was, it was like 550 people, four hours out in the desert. It was, you know, a lot of medics around and everything else. And it was close to the actual Spartan obstacle course race. So it was okay. But the first agogi I did, I led it with my Marine brother, you know, Rudy Reyes. So oh, he and yeah. I were out there and there was part of it where the guy, the guys and gals had been up for a day and a half. They'd already done two marathons. The it's sleep deprivation, no food. We take their food. You have a gear list. You can't bring your own chow. Like we take your stuff. We it's you're blindfolded some of the time. Like it's extreme, not physical, like beating hazing, but it, you're, you're standing in a squat with a 50 pound boulder above your head for until you drop the boulder and, and fall out. Like it's, extreme competitions um we had mongolian archers come in and we had an archery contest set up we had building um yurts so people are learning that culture right Right. we had one on the great wall of china we had one in namibia where they had to build bomas to keep lions and rhinos out and when i say build i mean build out of nothing 
Like we have some tools that we hide. They've got to go on a whole land navigation to find these tools. There's two teams. We hide their food. Like, I mean, there it's, it's, it's a absolute. That's incredible. Yeah. It's, it's a mind. It's, it's, it's a mind fuck. Oh, and who, it is. I was going to say, what are the, what are the types of people that are signing up? I mean, obviously you have to be in incredible shape, but what are the backgrounds of people that are signing up for these, these events? Every, everything tribe and tongue. Okay. You get extreme athletes. Uh, I mean, obviously they're all extreme athletes. No shit. Right. You get like MMA guys. Um, you get extreme trail runners, you get spec ops, but then you get like absolute random school teachers. Um, it's just, a, it's, it's a wild mix. You get doctors, lawyers, every kind of everything. The people that have the most problem with it like we had 10 people get hypothermia it was on espn one and two i'll send you guys the link you'll be able to see it it's the first one that i did rudy reyes and i were pulling people out of freezing water they'd had a poncho raft that they had to do to go across this freezing freaking lake and we're telling you know he and i didn't have that much say in the beginning of writing out the things and we're like "Mm, where's the like evac like 75 people going through this freezing cold water some like it doesn't matter how strong we are. You get in that and your body reacts wrong, you're going to get hypothermia. Like, yeah. Is that is that the one, the video you sent me where people had to hug each other? They grabbed yeah, the they tent. Yeah. Skin on skin, body. Yeah. Exactly. So we're pulling people out of the drink there when they're poncho, when they're, thank God, all of their rafts that they made worked and nobody sank. And then we had to swim in and get them and get hypothermia. But they're coming out, falling out. And there was kind of no medical evac plan. So we had a freaking fire built. Um, I had people stripped down naked. I was saying skin on skin, body heat. Then we had uh, a guy that went into anaphylactic shock. We had to lug him into the, um, Palestinian guy. We had to take him into the yurt, get him, put ports in him, um, put the emergency blankets on. I put the graphene, uh, Virtus initial gen one kit on him and it brought him back like that. And I'm not saying that as a brand caught. I'm saying it as a fabric pro, like he was going out. We had one of these rescue blankets on and I was like, dude, put on this long sleeve. I think that I, I think it was called the Rocky. It was our gen one. This is years ago. Um, we don't make that shirt anymore, but I put that on and it immediately heated his body up. Like it, it suctioned onto his body and heated him back up and the freaking, you know, life oh, came wow. back into his eyes, but it was interesting. Um, you know, we definitely take people to their, to their limits and then, and push them through. Now the last one we did was in Naxos, Greece. That was my favorite one because we had every kind of environment there. We had the Aegean Sea, which is, you know, it's, it's so salty that it's very buoyant. We had things hidden in the bottom of, you know, 20 feet down that they had to pick who was the best free diver to hold their breath and go down and find it. Me and Rudy are down there in scuba gear, um, <laughs> literally waiting for them at the bottom, watching them get these clues and just seeing people that, you know, you've got Chinese that, that speak a little English, but then you've got French there that don't speak English. Obviously, no one else speaks Chinese. Um, and you've got people communicating and having to work on the on time hacks on getting this done to get each wedge like, you know, every 20 hours. And so it's or they failed or disqualified. So, I mean, it's 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 it is such a refreshing. Re, you know, re, reinvigorating, invigorating uh, evolution of how we all can work together different religions different skin yeah, colors right. different genders different sexual preferences you get people together from enemy nations and everybody's kicking ass and everybody's taking care of each other you know so for Dude, me I show, I show my wife i don't know which which one it was but my wife you guys had 
you guys had a lady who was rappelling down like the tiniest yeah. of holes. And my wife, she we were watching the video Namibia. together. Okay, so we're watching the video you sent us, and that's probably I don't know how long the video is. It was halfway through the video, right? And my wife's like, "Oh, that's awesome! Look at that! Gosh, that looks tough." That and then the lady's getting rappelled down the little tiny hole, and she's like, "Oh no! Oh no! Oh no!" My wife was panicking watching a video of this lady just rappelling down the time, no arm, you know, it was crazy spider webs and all kinds of stuff. My wife was like, Nope, I'm out. I'm done. I quit Dude, straight up down in a legal gold, gold rushers, uh, hole. Oh yeah. It was like a chimney. Straight up. I mean, it, yeah. In Namibia, was, way out in Africa. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, I gotta see that. And how far, how far down did you, did they go? She probably went down about 60 feet. Oh, underground. We all went down and we had clues hidden down there, but it was, in, I mean, you saw it. So you saw that we had made her be a team captain. Her team hated her. She didn't oh. want to be a team captain. We just oh. make you be the team captain. Yeah, She's, yeah. You know, she wasn't trying to be a leader. We don't ever want people that are these natural leaders to be in the leadership positions. We want them to have to take orders from someone who doesn't want to be a leader because it's, it's everything has to be out of the element. Nothing can be, you know, people appointing themselves to do anything. So she'd been down she, her whole team kind of was, was on to her and you saw during that she was at her breaking point. Oh, she, she was totally. And she panicked. came out of that totally a new person and her team was cheering for her. And it was like her mental aptitude after that was, I'm going to finish this. And she finished she, it. She, she did definitely, the she definitely conquered a personal fear there because yeah. she was, she was, I mean, oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, and you got to realize like these people are going on zero sleep for a day. No food. Well, I mean, oh, yeah. you saw the video. We took all their food. They didn't have any water. We left them on the middle yeah. of the desert. Yeah. Um, they, they, yeah. They're looking on stones for paint to get orientated with, you know, which direction they have to go in. So it's, it's a land nav mess. We've got things where they've got to build different structures. We had them build a whole freaking wall, massive. It was like a 60-meter stone wall. It took them 12 hours. Didn't let them sleep in Naxos, Greece. I had them hike up Mount Zeus. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I mean, we're doing it. We're right there with them. I mean, the thing is we go there a week earlier. So by the time we're doing the Agogi, it's the third time we've done that Agogi because we, uh, we have to get out there and put it together. Now we're not carrying the kind of packs they're carrying and we're not sleep deprived and we're snacking on, you know, dates and freaking figs and granola while we're doing it and we're shooting the shit. Um, but it's like, we're te beta testing areas and being right. Like, Right. Like, you're not we're just, actually you're doing not it just with making them. some shit up and going, hey, no, guess no, no. What? we're Go leading the lake. Yeah. But I mean, there's times where when we're taking them on it, like my nuts are in my stomach because I'm uh, like, oh my God, like, can they do this with 100 pounds of wet gear on their back? Like, that is pretty steep. That is pretty slick. You know, we've got them carrying two oars through the whole thing. And it's amazing how resilient people are and how people will work as a team when they, when they like, like people come out of these agogis, a different, a different person, right? I've been doing these agogis for five years and I think something else that helped me quit and look at alcohol and, and drugs toxically for myself. Anyway, again, I, it, I only talk about my own issues and, and, and it being my problem, not other people's. Um, was getting to a point where I'm leading people in these events. And I'm like, dude, I've got to be the most healthy person that I can possibly be. You know, like if you're going to lead people like that in those environments, it's, it's a bigger thing than you. I can't, yeah. I can't imagine that you could be successful at it otherwise.
I mean, there's I was. no way. I, I was. I was doing. Oh. Them. I, was, I was. I was doing them before. I've been sober. While since you were drinking, I've been doing the. Uh, I was. I, I wasn't drunk while I was doing it, but I mean, I was still not. I, I was abusing my body. Yeah, for sure. Jeez, that's nuts. Yeah. How long does it take you to? But I'm an endurance guy. I mean, I. I... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How long does it take, start to finish, to set up one of those agogis? I know you said you went a week before, but I imagine there's all kinds of prep and planning before uh, that probably about four months okay four months flying in make like with abu dhabi we've been working on it for 12 months i mean COVID hasn't helped but yeah. it's you know in abu dhabi there's going to be the full um you know three-day event so you'll have thirty thousand racers there that are doing the absolute sprint super right. ultra beast you know that are doing a, a, a marathon of obstacles or a half a marathon of obstacles or a three mile of obstacles. You got the sprint, the beast and the ultra. Uh, and so they'll be doing that. Huge. And then, and then we'll have the agogi right before that. So, okay. you know, the thing in Abu Dhabi will be super safe. There'll be all sorts of evac plans and everything else. Um, it's the Arabian desert. It should be pretty gnarly. But when we, you know, that's, it's rare to do an agogi where there's going to be a massive Spartan race. Like normally it's just us taking these people. Right out into nowhere usually like the 24 hour ones which are tough i mean i would say the 24 hour ones are tougher than an agogi you got the four hour the 12 hour and the 24 hour because the agogis have a purpose right like you're like i'm in namibia i'm gonna learn like we literally had the namibian warriors in their breech cloths come and teach them how to make fire so like they're chilling for an hour or two or four you know, an hour of watching right. these and listening, they're getting to, to, to learn. Then they're chopping down, going and finding the stuff to do. And now for the rest of their lives, they can do that. They've literally learned how to do that. They, they, they in an extreme and, and, and life-threatening condition, will know how to do that forever. Like when we're doing 24-hour ones, it's like we're, we're covering land. Like we're going up mountains with crazy amount of weight. Then we're moving stones and we're doing this and we're doing burpees and we're doing eight count bodybuilders. Then you're going to, we're going to use some of the obstacles to hoist up these packs. I'm going to teach you how to make a, you know, how to abseil with 550 cord. Like it, we don't stop. It's 20 yeah, hours yeah. of like, you That's are nice. just nah, 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 like, grrr, you know, afterward you're just, you're, you're about dead. Whereas the agogis, you're like, wow, I went to, Namibia or I went to Naxos like and right. and people that do the agogis they'll stay a week after like they'll go on a safari or they'll stay in the Greek Isles you know or they'll go wherever we do them in the you know we're going to do one probably in the Congo and we'll do one in the Amazon after uh very cool very cool after this one so it's it's places where you know you never would have gone before um and it's great I mean I I love doing them I love leading them I love getting to pick the team that's going to do them I've got some guys that were GRS guys um, Force Recon, SEAL, Green Beret, two obviously CIA contractors, um, LAR Marine, myself, that'll be doing this one. So we've got, and, and then, and then a guy that chief, who's a current, um, current fella, we'll just say, who's <laughs> leaving the team and coming out to do this. So this, I mean, this one is going to be really, really gnarly. We just kind of have them getting bigger and bigger. And I love Joe DeSena, the CEO of Spartan. When I was still drinking a ton on my freaking, I guess it was my 38th birthday in Sparta, on Mount Sparta, I meet Joe DeSena. I'm with Rudy Reyes. Um, we're partying. And Joe says, all right, guys, like we've got a 24 hour to lead in two days. So we're like, dude, we're up there. They're, they've got their own grappa. They're making it like moonshine. We're just chilling, partying. 
play, you know, jamming out, um, literally up on, on, on Mount Sparta. Right. Wow. That's so awesome. it's cool for, it's cool for the Spartan race. And Joe DeSena says he doesn't drink. He's a, he, he, he's a, you know, mostly vegetables. I've, I've gotten him to eat some fish, but super health nut. He's the CEO of, of Spartan started this all out of his house in Vermont, um, where they still do the death race. But he's like, all right, guys, like awesome. Love y'all love your kind of methodology, the Marine Corps, everything else. Let's, let's do something fun tomorrow for David's birthday. And we're like, cool. We'll go out into town. We'll eat. We'll do something great. We're going to do, have a business relationship with him. 5.00 AM. I'm hungover. Rudy and I are, what? Guys, come on. Happy birthday, David. Let's go. I want to see what you Marines are made of. We're, uh, oh, let's, man. Let's, let's, let's do. And I'm like, all right, game on, game on, whatever. And dude, Rudy's a freaking, you know, Adonis, like nothing phases yeah. him. Um, and it's Dave Watson, who's like one of the top 10 North Face runners. He's the president of, of Spartan. Joe DeSena, the CEO of Spartan. A few of their videographers and me and Rudy Reyes. And there's a 50-pound pedal bell and a 75-pound rock. It's 12 miles up Mount Sparta, right? Where we're at. With this like Greek Orthodox I don't like where this is going. This thing. <laughs> and um, it's pitch black outside. We have our headlamps. And he says, okay, there's four of us. Rudy, David. Dave Watson and me, Joe DeSena. One of us has to always be carrying the kettlebell. It can never touch the ground. And one of us has to be carrying the boulder. While we're moving, we can't stop to pan them to each other. We've got to be moving. We run all the way down around this mountain. We lose the cameraman and like a half mile in, they drop. We're moving. And no, no stop, nothing. All the way down to the bottom, handing this thing over. He, you can't, um, you've got to have the kettlebell like this. Above your head, you can't hold it with two hands. You can swing it and you can't hold the, like the boulder can't be held down. It's got to be on a shoulder and you can't hold it with two hands. Wow. Right? Holy crap. Can't stop. <laughs> we go all the way to the bottom. We get to the bottom and we do, I think we did like 500 burpees. We did flutter kicks. We did a bunch of push-ups. which that's my thing. Like I was okay. I was just glad we were down at the bottom. Then we get up and we go back up the mountain <laughs> no stop we go back up the mountain and we get to back to the lodge i don't think i've ever looked as ripped in my life like i, I looked like rudy reyes for one moment in my entire life <laughs> because my body all the lactic acid was out and my body had eaten everything in it like i was going on absolute fumes um I'll send you all the pic that we took with Joe DeSena and that Rudy, like it, it, it was ridiculous, but now you'll know what we did, what, what, what we went through. Joe looks at me and goes, Hey man, welcome to the family. Like I want to partner with Virtus. I wanted to see what you guys were made of. This is how I do. This is how I vet my business partners. I'll oh, never wow. forget that. Wow. I'll never forget that. That was his test to see what we were made of and to see in business when the waters are rough and when shit isn't working out who you can depend on. And that's how he tests people by taking them on absolutely insane out of your element. You have no idea what the fuck you're getting ready to do. I sure as hell, when I was drinking grappa the night before, hugging them, dancing, jamming on the guitar, being so happy to be in Sparta, thought that I was going to be running down a mountain at 5 a.m. with <laughs> kettlebells, boulders, doing a, you know, a, a, a blood thrust, burpee, flutter kick, push-up session, and then running back up. But we did it and we stayed together. And we were passing these things around. And there were times when Joe was tired. He's the smallest out of us. He's a little wiry guy. And he's the one who picked the weight. 
but there were times when I could tell just David, just hold the boulder longer, just keep holding it. Like you can, you know, don't pass it to this guy right now. He's about to die out. And when you get in sync with people like that, where you're embracing each other's strengths and weaknesses and working together, nothing can prepare you. I think business-wise than being able to go on evolutions like that and be able to build that kind of trust. And that's why, you know, that's why the agogis are so special. That's why the extreme endurance events are so special, especially when you get in the 12 hour and 24, because people start to just lose their bullshit and, and love each other and take care of each other. It's like, you start to see humans just be like, okay, dude, we are humans. Like we are going to get through this mess. We're going to get through this puzzle. And you see people unite. So it's for me, like it's addictive because I love getting people to the breaking point. And I think uh, you, you saw it in the video, Dave Watson, yeah. the Australian guys narrating. And it's like, we like to get people to the limit and to, to a bar that they don't know they can reach. And then we like to let them touch the bar and get their fingertips on it. And then they go the rest of the way and they end up being able to get up and come over it. Right. Right. Well, that leads us to a good, a good question. So we ask, you know, the, the mission statement for our podcast is just, you know, we hope our listeners were trying to help them get from if zero to one, right? Whatever that is, if you're starting a business, you're going to start working out, you're going to quit drinking, whatever that is. Um, and we always ask our guests, you know, if you could give one piece of advice to our listeners to help them go from zero to one, whatever that is, what, what would your piece of advice be? Consistency builds discipline and dis- discipline builds ritual. Awesome. You have to be consistent. You see every day I, I, I post these, unless I'm on a podcast with two awesome brothers like y'all, but usually um, I'll post scripture. That scripture is the first light that I see from my phone. It wakes me up. It makes me start my day with gratitude. Instead of taking all the BS that, I, that was stressing me out yesterday, I look at this. It's scripture. You don't have to read the Bible. You don't have to be a Christian. Read something positive. Look at a picture of your kids. Look at a picture of your wife. Look at a picture of your mom or your dad or your dog. Have something that you see, the very first thing you see, be something that you're grateful for that 99% of the population doesn't have. And remember that. And you start your day and look at that and you say, fuck, it's so bad for so many other people. I need to be helping those people and I need to be grateful. Like, look at what I have. Whatever it is that's going to be the first light you see. Don't start with emails. Don't start with stress. Start with that. And then start with the physicality. You start with that, you're motivated. You don't have to get out and run a marathon. You don't have to get out and go do 100 push-ups. You get out and you start by stretching. You start by doing it at the same time every day. Get up at, if you don't have time, get up 45 minutes earlier. You can do it. Go to sleep 45 minutes earlier. But you build a consistent ritual with discipline and, then, and you're on it. That, you're literally on the trajectory. Because if you're doing one push-up every morning, by Wednesday, you're going to be doing three push-ups. By the next Wednesday, you're going to be doing 10 push-ups. Do things in, in synchronized. And this is why I think Tabata app is so good. Do body weight. And we'll just talk about exercise, right? Get up. Start with body weight. Use the Tabata timer. You're never going to go over a certain amount of time. You're never going to waste time. You're going to have 30 seconds. You're going to hear a whistle. You're going to have 10 seconds to rest. You're going to actually end up working out for 15 minutes, but you're going to get get more done than someone who goes and dicks around in a gym for an hour and a half and doesn't know what they're doing. You have everything you need within your own body on a flat surface to get you on a trajectory of discipline to where, Hey, 
in three months, six months, go to the gym, go to, go start rolling, go, go get into jujitsu. But it's, it's people have the biggest problem with starting. That's it. I'm not going to start. I just don't want to start. The minute that you start, it becomes addictive. You end up loving it. Everything sucks for the first couple of weeks. Fuck dude. I've been rolling and doing different MMA. I'm still a white belt in jujitsu. I always, <laughs> I always get so annoyed with the gi that I go back to no gi and I just end up grappling for a year and doing this and that. Do I still love jujitsu? I love it. I love it. Jujitsu is different. It's always humbling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When you're looking at lifting weights, when you're looking at running, when you're looking at just something you can do on your own, you just have to, I mean, Nike says it, baby, just do it. Just do just it. Set that alarm. Consistency builds discipline. Discipline builds ritual. If you're having struggles with overeating, porn, anger, drugs, alcohol, it's because you've created a ritual through consistency. You've become disciplined at going to the bottle. You've become disciplined at, instead of working out with your spouse, going to porn, you've become disciplined in comfort eating. You can replace these bad rituals the same way that you built them. And you can replace those bad rituals with positive rituals. And those healthy, positive rituals will give you more years on your life. That's, you know? That is awesome. That's, that's an amazing answer. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's incredible. And I mean, I think what you're saying too, it just, it builds momentum too. You know, the, the more consistency you have, the easier it is to just keep doing those things. And I'm just saying that from personal experience, cause I'm, you know, I don't want to steal your thunder, but just to add to it a little bit, it, everything that David said is true and I can attest to it personally. Um, so that's absolutely incredible advice. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Cool, man. Well, Hey, we have taken up so much of your time but we are extraordinarily grateful for everything you shared with us. And we can't thank you enough for being here. It's been an awesome show. Chance, I had a blast. You guys yeah, have been awesome. And, and dude, thanks so much for the time before. I feel like we did two podcasts today. Oh, dude, I, I <laughs> in a good like, way. No, in a good way. Not in yeah, time. We just, I feel we, like we, I we covered just a lot of ground, man. To you. Yeah. We covered a lot of ground on, uh, on both. So that was awesome. Anytime you guys want to do it again, uh, I, I'd love to. You guys are, are you, 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 you really flow. So I've done a lot of podcasts. This has been my favorite one to date. Oh, thanks, man. Appreciate that. <laughs> that, that really means a lot. So thank you very much. That really does. So yeah. you've, you've been incredible. Uh, I can't say anything else. I think this is a perfect place to end. So awesome. thanks again. Cheers, yeah, thanks again to David Wood. You've been a real pleasure. Uh, for Ben, this is Brian signing off for the Nothing Oak podcast. Thank you guys. And we will talk to you soon. Bye, everybody. Cheers. Yeah.